Let us pray together. Loving God into our weary world filled with pain and heartache, you came down that we may have joy. You came down that we may have joy. You came down that we may have joy. Alleluia forevermore. Please pray with me. You came down that we may have joy. You came down that we may have joy. You came down that we may have joy. Alleluia forevermore. Amen. So today is the first day of Advent, the wonderful season in which we celebrate the incarnation God coming to be with us, with us in the vulnerable child of a teenage mother from Nazareth, born into a forgotten stable in faraway Bethlehem. And this year we will be following this astonishing story through the eyes of Luke, and we will be noticing the joy, indeed the great joy, that keeps bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up in, these, in this birth story through Gabriel, through Elizabeth, through John the Baptist doing somersaults in his mother's womb, through the shepherds. I did a word search. Luke mentions joy 11 times in his gospel. Mark just once. Interesting. And this story then culminates in Bethlehem with the angel announcing good news of great joy for all people, especially the poor, especially the downtrodden, especially the weary. And friends, this Advent we'll be hearing God's special invitation for us as well. No matter how weary we may be, to become conduits and channels of this joy, this precious joy to our world. Our story opens today 2,000 years ago among a Jewish people weary of Rome's brutal occupation, weary of the empire's crushing taxes, weary of King Herod's reign of terror, weary of the religious elite's collaboration with all this stuff in first centuries, weary of waiting for God's promised Messiah. And we join a priest named Zechariah today in the Jerusalem temple, 
By lot, he has been chosen to enter into the sanctuary of the Lord, into the holy of holies, to come before God and to offer prayers and incense. And as we learn today, our dear Zechariah comes weighed down by a deep and personal ache. He and his wife Elizabeth are getting on in years and still have no children. For years they have been bending God's ear, pleading and praying to God for a child. And what you have to know is that in their day, to be without offspring is a public disgrace. The source of deep public shame. In their day, it is believed to be a sign of God's disfavor and disapproval. And sadly, it often still is in our day as well. So we have to wonder how often have Zechariah and Elizabeth asked each other, what did we do wrong? Why is God punishing us? And even worse, you have to wonder if everyone else in the surrounding community has been asking them these same questions as well. What did you do wrong? Why is God punishing you? So you have to wonder what's going on inside Zechariah today when he enters the temple. Is he just a pastor going through the motions? Has he given his weariness the keys to the house? In our image we see, and I love this artistic inter interpretation, we see the angel Gabriel suddenly appearing to Zechariah in the smoke of the incense. You see that? And what are Gabriel's first words to Zechariah? Do not be afraid. Let's say that. Do not be afraid. Apparently, it is the most repeat, these are the most repeated words in scripture. 365 times apparently. I didn't count them. I googled it. I like that, though, one for every day of the year. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And these words seem to be especially needed when God comes to interrupt our weariness with joy. Just ask Abraham. Just ask Rachel, just ask Mary, just ask Peter, fear not. Gabriel brings Zechariah the good news that God has actually been hearing and listening to his prayers. Did you hear that? 
Gabriel tells him that Elizabeth will soon bear a child named John. Joy is on the way, the angel says. You will have joy. And others, many other people, will rejoice with you. And this John, when he comes, will turn people's hearts toward God. Will turn the hearts of parents toward their children. Wow. Will turn the hearts of the lost toward the ways of wisdom. That's a lot of turning. And what will all of this turning produce? What will be the outcome of this? A people prepared and ready for the Lord. And to all of this, Zechariah, he's been through a lot. He's weary. And so he says, show me the proof. How can I know this is so? I'm nothing but an old man. And Elizabeth's not much younger. And because Zechariah cannot believe, Gabriel now tells him that he will lose his voice and be ushered into nine months of silence. Tell me, is that punishment or a gift? <laughs> no need to try to explain the unexplainable. No need to preach any more sermons for nine months. <laughs> Sounds like a gift. <laughs> Just the space to be still and to silently watch and wait for God. In the artist's explanation of our image, she says that Zechariah has one hand held over his mouth in fear and dread. But in the other, we can see him beginning to silently cradle the faint possibility of their coming miracle child. Do you see that? I hadn't seen it. Do you see it? You can look at your bulletins as well. This Advent, what is God calling you to cradle? to prepare for. There's an ancient Jewish story in the Mishnah about pilgrims joyfully streaming toward the temple in Jerusalem. And after they go up the stairs, I remember doing this as a kid, after they go up the stairs to the Temple Mount, they are told then to turn right and to joyfully promenade and stream around the temple in a counterclockwise way, around and around with joy. But 
Those who are brokenhearted are instructed to go up to the temple entrance and instead of turning right are instructed to turn left and to go counterclockwise. Clockwise, thank you. The opposite way. Against the stream of joyful pilgrims. And every time the joyful pilgrims meet a broken-hearted pilgrim, they are instructed to ask them, Malach, what happened? Please tell me your story. Friends, how might you be feeling broken-hearted this morning? Malach, what happened? Maybe you're worried about your kid. Maybe you're worried about your health. Maybe God's feeling terribly absent right now. Maybe you can't stop thinking about the carnage in Gaza, the children, the parents, the grandparents. How does a weary world rejoice? Not ever by turning away from our world's pain. Not ever by averting our eyes. Not by ever pretending that our hearts aren't broken. This ancient Jewish story of the pilgrims facing the brokenhearted shows us what true religion is all about. Both our pain and our joy need to be fully seen and acknowledged, allowed to hold space one for the other. In fact, each one, I believe, often refines and deepens the other one. Those who have suffered have the most beautiful joy. Last night, Danette and I saw this modeled powerfully in the new documentary, American Symphony. As joy bubbles up in the lives of two fabulous musicians, Jean Baptiste and Suleika Jawad, amidst their weariness and heartache, American Symphony. Commentators point out that joy is not a standalone emotion, but more often is an alongside emotion doesn't take away our pain or our heartache, but helps us to hold it differently. Do you see what this means? It's really good news. We don't need to wait for the world's wars to end before we can feel joy. We don't have to wait for some personal heartache in our lives to go away before we can experience joy. We don't have to wait for the world's climate crisis to end, still to have joy. In fact, letting in God's joy is absolutely crucial to our resilience. 
and our resistance, our fierce resistance to the forces of death and sin and injustice in our world. Brene Brown describes joy as the upward spiral that counteracts the downward spirals of weariness and despair in our lives. So friends, catch the upward spiral. Let me close by saying that in the incarnation of Jesus, we see that God's joy invariably has a quality of surprise to it. You ever thought about that? You can't plan to have joy. We can't control it. We can't create or manufacture it. All we can do in our lives is to be ready for it, to be open for it, to be receptive to it, so that joy can be our surprise guest. Someone's brave act of kindness, joy. Seeing Israelis and Palestinians reunited with their families last week, joy. Dancing with our loved one in the living room. Reconciliation in a long, strained relationship the fragrance of a Christmas tree in our home, sin confessed and forgiven, a surgery bringing new life and vision, tears of joy as Christmas music awakens and softens our heart, joy. As the poet Mary Oliver puts it, if you unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. So friends, this Advent season, let us give in to joy. And may Christ's joy wash over us, reorient and refresh us, and then may we become channels of it, conduits of this joy to everyone around us. And all God's people said, Amen.